HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Underground Meats, an American producer of handcrafted salami and cured meats in Madison, Wisconsin. For more information, visit shop.undergroundfoodcollective.org or stop by their butcher shop in Madison, Wisconsin. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Anne Saxelby, and today I'm very happy to have in the studio with me, Hannah Howard. Who Hi, Anne. Hello. How are you? I'm great and excited to be on your show. Fantastic. Well, Hannah is the copywriter and communications person, director. You could use the director word. Director. I like that. Copy, uh, copywriting and communications director for Fairway Markets here in New York. And... Um, so we're, I'm really excited to chat with Hannah about a whole bunch of things, but you know how your journey through cheese kind of led you to your current job. So um, I know you worked um, at Casalula for a while. Yes. Well, my first real job ever. Well, my first job ever was scooping gelato, but my second real job was at Picholine, um, and I was a freshman in college, and I wanted a job, but. I did some Craigslist research. It was a response to a Craigslist ad. I was a hostess. Um, but I wanted to work there because I heard about Max and I heard about their cheese program. And I always have loved cheese. It's always had a place in my heart. And I thought that to be close to that would be amazing. And I was 17 without any experience. And I guess I didn't need much to be a hostess. But I got to sneak my way into the cheese cart land as much as possible and soak up as much cheese off as I could. Wow, that's amazing. So 17 years old, you were working at Pichelin. Yes. That's that's pretty impressive. And you were like directed towards the cheese program. Well, just following my my heart yeah. towards cheese. Yeah, absolutely. So what was like, uh, well, if your first job was scooping gelato, obviously you've always had an affinity for dairy products. <laughs> my first job was also at an ice cream um, place. But 
being from the Midwest, we didn't have any gelato. It was like soft serve. You know, it was called the Dairy Dream Drive-In. Um, but it was still, you know, um, it all started with ice cream. <laughs> oh, I like that we have that in common. Yeah. It's a good place to start. Absolutely. I got really strong forearms from all that <laughs> scooping. I guess you don't have that problem with soft serve. No, soft serve, it was all about like who could like make the tallest cone, you know, because you have to kind of like oh. swirl it around. And so... Um, yeah, it was really challenging. If people ordered a large one and then they want it dipped in chocolate, that was like, you know, the ultimate challenge because you have to like hold it upside down. And Were you talented at the tower of soft serve? The ta- yeah, I was pretty good. I was pretty good at it. It, was, it even got to the point where on the really hot nights, um, you know, of course, the machines would start to heat up and the soft serve would get softer. And mm. so it was like, you know, extra, extra crazy to see who could like actually flip their cone over before it like all fell into the chocolate dip. But, um, but yeah, I could, I could work my way around, uh, pretty well. (laughs) Um, but so are you born and raised in New York then? No, I grew up in Baltimore Okay, and then moved to New Jersey for high school and then came here for college. And, um, I, but I always feel like New York is home or I'm always have been drawn here. It's been beckoning you. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So that's interesting. So, um, Pichaline and then, um, how did you work your way from Pichaline, um, to through other restaurants and to eventually to Casalula. Um, well, I, I wanted more cheese, but they maybe because I was seventeen, they weren't so into the idea <laughs> of me um, assuming like the cheese position there. Um, but I did get hooked up with this was back in the day when Pichelin and Artisanal were still like sisters, and mm. they still had the cheese center. Right. So I went for my summer job after after my freshman year of college and worked at the in the cheese caves and did an internship there and also helped to organize the all the cheese classes they did oh that's great got a really good education along with work and continued to love it and then I stayed at Pichaline for two years and continued to do stuff at the cheese center as well and I just wanted a change of scenery and I found Tia and Brian um on Craigslist and I was inter- I didn't know who they were or what this project was but it sounded so cool and they interviewed me on like a milk crate in <laughs> this half constructed building and they were so enthusiastic and they just promised me about how cool it would be and I liked them and I liked this project and I was the first hire who wasn't a friend or already an associate and so that was really an adventure. Oh my gosh, that's great. Well, and a huge honor too, because I feel like, you know, they were, they're a small place. They still are a small place and small staff. And so it's a big deal, I feel like, to to be, you know, part of the team there. Absolutely. It was wonderful. And I, I kind of sensed that, like this was something special. I had enough um, of a feeling about that, that I was really excited to be part of that. Yeah. Well, at Casalula, it was and is, I mean, such an important cheese destination in the city. I feel like if I really want to take someone to a place where I can show off just the cheese and, you know, and, and, and the wonderful pairings, you know, that, that's the place to go for me. Right. Um, so yeah, such a unique opportunity to be able to work there. Um, well, I have to ask, so what, like, you know, what turned on the lights for you in the cheese world in general? Was there like an experience when you were a kid where you're like, Oh man, like had this really great piece of cheese or uh, how did it happen for you? I just got this time. I mean, I was always loved food and eating and experimenting. And my mom was a great cook and um, would 
you know, get a Madra Joffrey book and try to cook Indian food. So I always had kind of funky food around in my life compared to my friends when I was really young. I got a text message from one of my oldest childhood friends recently, and she said, I remember at summer camp when we were all talking about what we ate for dinner, and you said you ate like walnut encrusted tofu or something, and we all thought you were the weirdest <laughs> child in the whole world. And I was, but I was kind of proud. And I think it was a little, I mean, it was a little bit before the Food Network and everything. So I was a little bit um, Ahead weird. Of the curve. Or, yeah, but at the time it was just kind of bizarre. Um, but I was excited about it and I didn't mind. And I think it was, you know, right now looking back, it's such a lame cheese, but. I remember my mom buying some Saga Blue from the grocery store, probably, mm-hmm. and having a bunch of friends over, kid friends over, and me like loving this Saga Blue. It's still kind of like a guilty pleasure, like those kind of crappy blue cheeses, <laughs> uh, like the crappy, creamy blue cheeses. Yeah. And um, I like broke it out, and I was so excited to like have them all try it, and they all thought it was disgusting, and I was insane, and I was... And you were like, guys, you just don't get it. I couldn't under... I, I, but, you know, part of me was also felt like kind of sad, right? Like there's um, this camaraderie amongst people who love cheese and love food. And part of the reason I like working with cheese is that it makes people really happy. Like people just light up. And usually nobody gets upset when it's time to do a cheese tasting. Yeah. When I like go right. out to visit our restaurant clients, you know, everyone's like, this is the best part of my week, like having the cheese tasting. And right. it's like, it's a joy to be able to give that to people. Exactly. So I didn't, I didn't find that joy right away <laughs> or I didn't find anyone to share it with right away. So then when I kind of came into New York and immediately got this community of people who are so excited about this stuff it felt so nice to be part of that and be around that and like soak it up and so what were your what what did you do at castle love what was your experience there i was a server but at the very beginning everyone did everything because we were so small and figuring out how we were going to run and we didn't have a computer system yet and everything was so i got to also um I mean, some nights I, I learned how to make the mac and cheese, which I still think is the best mac and cheese ever. So, so good. I spent a little time in the kitchen and I spent as much time with the cheese as I could. So I got a good tour of the tiny restaurant, but mostly I was a server and a bartender. That's awesome. Yeah. And so then, so now you're at Fairway. Mm-hmm. So um, just talking about cheese luminaries in New York City. So you worked for Max McCalman for a little bit. Right. Got to work with Brian Kaiser and Tia Keenan. Um, the team that started Casa Lula, certainly cheese revolutionaries in the city. And now at Fairway, you're working with Steve Jenkins, who's like kind of the grandfather of them all, even though exactly. he would hate for me to call him a grandfather well, of he, anything. His <laughs> new uh, um, term for himself, we all call him in the office Poppy. So <laughs> maybe he's at peace with it. Poppy Jenkins. <laughs> Poppy Jenkins. Yeah. Although his wife doesn't approve, so I should probably, uh, yeah, shouldn't be saying that on the radio, but it's too late now. It's so. too late We now. all embrace Poppy. Yeah. Um, No, but he's definitely, you know, when I, so after I left, um, I finished college, I went and I managed a restaurant in Philadelphia and wanted to do a cheese program and just kind of created it. And I loved Steve's book, like the cheese primer was really useful. So I still feel like he wrote the Bible. He did. My favorite go-to encyclopedia cheese resource. I used to keep that on my nightstand when I first started working at Murray's. That was my first cheese job and I would keep it on my nightstand and every night I would read about like four or five or six depending on how much energy I had. But it's like, and and I still, I still go back to it all the time. 
me too when I have to write about some cheese that I scratch my head like what's that again and then there it is <laughs> there it is yeah so you had gotten you were familiar with his work from mm-hmm. that and then how did you actually meet him and kind of go about you know forging a work relationship well I got this really cool freelance writing assignment because I'm also a writer and I was writing for the American Express website for small businesses called Open Forum. And I got to do this series on food entrepreneurs. So I also interviewed Rob from Marie's and um, had like the best meal of my life when I interviewed Danielle Balud and he invited me to come to Danielle. So it was such a fun gig. I, wow. I, want, I want this again. I know it was when it was that over. Awesome. I was like, I'm sad, but it was too good to be true while it lasted. <laughs> so it didn't only get me all these great connections and conversations and meals, but it got me my job at Fairway. Um, so I really like talking to Steve. I mean, he's like the easiest interview if you're a journalist because he just, you don't have to say anything. Well, he's anything. like a performer as well. Exactly. I mean, he has a performance background. Right. And so now whenever I hear the fairway commercials on the radio, I'm always like, wow, like that voice, like, it's so funny that like, it's come full circle and like, he's the perfect spokesman, exactly. you know? Exactly. Right. So, you know, some people you have to kind of like coax out info from them and he just like let loose this gigantic torrent of some really poetic stuff and I felt inspired and um, I was just kind of felt like there was a lot of things that I loved about working in restaurants but that it wasn't really for me and that I wanted to try something else in the food world and maybe something with more writing and I thought about Steve and just just reaching out on a whim said is just fair way looking for anyone and um, you know it, it took like a lot of people and a lot of conversations and I ended up getting this fairway job without there being an actual job description or a job. So I started behind the cheese counter for six weeks, um, sort of while they figured out what to do with me. And they figured in the meantime, I could figure out how... Beef the, up your cheese knowledge on the fairway selection. Right. And figure out how the store runs from... Because now I mostly sit in an office. So it's nice to... I mean, you learn so much more when you're there up close and personal with the cheese and with the people and with the operations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I hate to do it, but we need to take a really quick break. And when we come back, uh, we'll continue our conversation with Hannah Howard here on Cutting the Curd. So stay with us. You're listening to Lung by Iggy Dean on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned for more from Cutting the Curd. Underground Meats is an American producer of handcrafted salami and cured meats in Madison, Wisconsin. They use small farms from southwest Wisconsin to source their meat. The animals are raised on pasture for their entire lives by farmers who care about animal welfare. While Underground Meats uses European traditions, they also use ingredients from the upper Midwest to try to create new types of salamis, experimenting with both ingredients and techniques. The salamis are made using heritage breeds, mostly red wattles, tamworts, berkshires, and mule foots. Try their award-winning cured pork shoulder and goat salami. To learn more and purchase products, visit shop.undergroundfoodcollective.org or stop by their butcher shop in Madison, Wisconsin. All 
right. And we are back here on Cutting the Curd. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. It's heritageradionetwork.org for anyone who wants to check out this or any of the other 30-some-odd shows that are on the network. Um, So we're going to lead off our second segment uh, here on Cutting the Curd with a curd word, which uh, is a new segment for us. Um, Today's curd word is ricotta. Which is kind of a basic curd word, but I feel like it's kind of nice to revisit, you know, some of the basics. So ricotta in Italian, of course, means recooked. Um, and ricotta cheese traditionally is a cheese that was made from the whey, left over from, uh, from cheese making that was recooked. And uh, more curds are eked out of that, um, out of that whey and then strained um, into cheesecloth and made into cheese. Um, and traditionally, this was done with uh, Pecorino Romano, which is, of course, a very famous sheep's milk cheese from Italy. Um, and now there are very many permutations of uh, ricotta. I feel like, you know, the Italian version is the traditional, you know, one made from whey. Um, the American version tends to be a whole milk ricotta, which is um, whole milk that is coagulated with either lemon juice or vinegar. Um, and this is a little bit of a different style. And it's actually interesting because in America, there was no tradition of this making of hard cheeses. So we had no way to make ricotta with um, originally. But so people, you know, especially Italian-American immigrants being very resourceful, um, said, well, hey, we'll just make it from whole milk. And then, hey, it's going to be even creamier and richer and more delicious. Um, and I actually have some ricotta in the studio to taste today. Um, from Yay! S- <laughs> I know, right? There's eating during the show is always a, always a bonus. And this is from, uh, it's a ricotta made by Salvatore Brooklyn. They're a really great producer here in Brooklyn. Um, they have a production facility over in the Navy Yards. And they kind of up the ante on ricotta even a little bit further because they take whole milk from Hudson Valley Fresh, which is a really great co-op upstate New York. They add a bit of cream to it, so they up the fat content even more. Um, coagulate it with lemon juice so they um, you know they get the curds out and then they strain it um, overnight in a cheesecloth so um, what you get is really the equivalent of like Greek yogurt um, in the ricotta world it's very dense very thick very hearty very rich Um, and so we're just going to try it and since Hannah is a copywriter we can uh, have a little taste and then we'll just talk about what our impressions of it are Um, the pressure is on I know All right. Imagine, everyone, that you're here eating ricotta with us. (laughs) Yum. Very rich. Very, mm, very tasty. It's delicious. It doesn't have the typical texture with the defined ricotta um, curds, curds. like the pieces. Right. It's it's like a almost looks like cream cheese. And it has a little bit of that consistency to it, but a a lighter feel, but still luscious and <laughs> yeah very luscious I always feel like it's very um it's a great expression of the sweetness of the milk and the cream absolutely um it's just really delicious stuff okay so we tasted this is the plain one and then they also make a smoked version that is um it's smoked over Japanese cherry wood and while Hannah tastes I'm going to continue talking and then yeah Hannah um eventually if you were going to like have to write a sign or write a little entry about this cheese for the fairway blog or for the fairway shop. Um, any thoughts on that would be, would be awesome. Well, I think I would say, I mean, I love the, I love what you said about this, the uh, milk choke being shown off with this um, creamy, sweet, lactic 
explosion of flavors and it has a very soft finish and um, it has the cool distinction of being both um, indulgent and rich and luscious, like we said, but there's also a lightness to it. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. And for me, the smoky one, it's just, um, it's such an interesting flavor because you would think that somebody would have come up with smoked ricotta before, and I'm sure there are different versions um, you know, available somewhere in the world. But I don't think many people are making anything like that here. Have you ever tasted anything I've never like tasted that? smoked ricotta. And I love it that it's smoked but not. Sometimes all you taste is that smoked flavor, and you can still taste the smokiness and the ricotta. So that's wonderful. Absolutely. This cheese, I have to say, I to me, it reminds me of like a toasted marshmallow. It has like, mm-hmm. since it has that sweetness again with that little, little like warm, roasty, toasty flavor, I actually asked Lee, who is the um, pastry chef at Casalula, I was like, can you think of maybe like a s'more-based dessert? That sounds that so you good. Could do with the smoked ricotta. I'm still waiting for somebody to, to do it. Has she, so she hasn't made one yet? You know, I think she tried one for a short time. I never got to try it. Um, oh. I know, I know. I have to, yeah, I have to get back in touch with her and see if we can make that happen. But, um, well, thank you for your descriptions of the cheeses and, um, and for, uh, and for tasting. Um, so while we were talking about your job at Fairway and how, when you first started, you basically, there was no job description, um, and you just worked behind the cheese counter and then eventually transitioned into, um, you know, working in the office and doing these wonderful descriptions. How do you keep up with the volume of products that Fairway sells? It's really challenging. I try to, um, I mean, we sell way, I think we sell something like 90,000 SKUs in total. Wow. Which is way more than the usual grocery store. That's insane. So I just sort of have to start with reasonable expectations that we can't really keep up. So I rely a lot on the people who work closer with the products to tell me what's cool. So our wonderful cheese buyer, Avanel, I'm always like knocking on her door, like, what are you getting? What's going on? And she lets me know. And then I write about it or um, I have to do a little bit. of It's like a little treasure hunt through the stores sometimes because you know, everyone's so busy and sometimes I've got to go to the cheese counter and just be like, like to put the on front my, lines. Yeah, or I go behind to the back lines. And like now that I've, I'm really glad that I got that opportunity to do that because now I can like put on my gloves and unwrap a piece of cheese and try it. And 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 the guys behind the counter are like, hey, Hannah, what's up? Yeah. And you guys have a good camaraderie. Well, and I'm sure also in a store like Fairway, there are a lot of products that, you know, are kind of more speak for themselves type products. You know, they're on the shelves. And I'm thinking about like, I don't know. Maybe cookies and crackers or maybe... Right. We have our standard groceries. Like the oatmeal doesn't need a um, A, An elaborate (laughs) description. Exactly. Right. But we might have some kind of really cool oatmeal that does warrant a a poetic touch. So, And I have this great legacy to follow in Steve's footsteps because he's famous for his really original, quirky, insightful beautiful. And he was really the first. I mean, now when you walk into cheese shops in New York City, you see these handwritten signs. I mean, my shop included. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's Steve's legacy. Exactly. And when I started this job working with him, we got to do a really fun, I mean, part of what I've done is, is help to further 
organize his archive. So we got to look back on signs from the 80s and 90s through today of all these great products, some of which we no longer can sell legally, um, and just see these beautiful things that he's inscribed about them. And it's really a great story. That would be a cool book. You guys should publish a book of all of Steve's old signs. I feel like it would be like it would be like a punk rock like anthology. Right? There's something very cool about. And when I was like a teenager, I I had my my I had zines and I was really into that. And I feel like it's a cool like yeah. It's just so much fun stuff there. Yeah. Yeah, Rich. Oh man, that. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask him about that. I think that's a that would be real. I, I would buy that book. Um, well, we only have a couple minutes left, and I wanted to ask you. I mean, you're, um, you know, you're a young person. I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but you're a young person who's really made your own. My birthday is in two weeks, and I will be 26. 26. You're such a spring chicken. I mean, not to sound like a weird old lady myself, but I feel like you've done so much in the cheese world, and you're very, very young. And so, I just wanted to see if you have any advice for. Um, our listeners, because I feel like a lot of people are interested in getting into the cheese world, but not everybody um, has kind of taken the steps like you have to just kind of like create your own entryway and create your own um, position. So what would you say is your kind of philosophy behind that? Well, there's never a better time than now because there's so many people who are newly making great cheese, selling great cheese, writing about great cheese. This whole world is really just in its adolescence. So, I mean, my advice or or what I've done is to be, to find people or places or cheeses or farms that you love and that speak to you and then ask them, I mean, everybody, because there's such a growth in this world, there's also a need for people to work there. So even like Lucy's Way is opening on the Upper East Side. I know that they're looking for people. And um, even if you can't, like I started out as a hostess and that wasn't really um, a cheese job, but I was close, close enough to the cheese that I got to learn from it and head in that direction. So I think just get yourself in the position to be close to people who you admire and who you know that you can learn from. And then from there, it's so easy. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. And, you know, it's, it's funny in this age as well, when people are, um, you know, some people go the route of, you know, going to culinary school and um, investing a lot of money in their education. And, and that can be a really great path as well. But I think that the path that you have chosen is a really um, awesome and interesting one, because you can learn and further your career actually working and actually getting paid, you know, right. Sometimes I feel like I have the, uh, best internship ever, even though it's a, it's a job, it's a job yeah. but I, I learned so much. Yeah. And that's a gift. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for being on the show with us today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And, um, I feel like your story is very inspiring and I hope any, you know, young would be cheesemongers who stumble across this show really take it to heart. Thanks so much. Anne. that's so nice. All right. Well, we'll be back next week with another episode of cutting the curd and thanks for being with us on heritage radio network. You're listening to Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.